Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I appreciate uh, the words, uh, the prayers, uh, the songs, and uh, the comments during the Lord's Supper and offering. Uh, it's so good to be together, spiritually minded people thinking about the things of God and considering all that He's done for us and how good He is to us. Uh, that's what hopefully motivates us, recharges us as we go back out into the world. Are you ready for your next trial? <laughs> Are you ready for that one? I heard somebody say, um, 2020 has been great. I wonder what the season finale will be like. Um, I thought that was interesting to think about it that way. Uh, kind of makes you dread the end of the year. Uh, but you, you just kind of wonder, you know, what else are we going to have? What's next? Um, and are we prepared for that? If, 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 ever, if ever you've had a year where, you know, you've realized maybe you're, you're lacking or you're, you're weak in some areas, this is probably one of those years um, for, for many of us to go through life. Uh, we, we have different trials, different issues in our lives. I've, I've talked to many uh, who are just hanging by a thread, just barely hanging on, doing all they can to, to remain faithful uh, with the trials and the tribulations and the struggles that they're going through. And some of it's COVID-related, some of it's government-related, some of it's family-related, some of it's personal. Uh, there's just a number of trials that, that we go through. Uh, how can we be ready for those things? How can we be prepared for those things? How do we need to think about those things? Um, well, Jesus is going to help us a little bit this morning as we study together in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, so far, as we've been studying through, we're just continually going through the book of Matthew. So far, we've seen uh, Jesus do a lot of miracles. Uh, and the last time we were here together... We saw Jesus feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He's out in a desolate place, and, and he works this miracle that reveals he's a lot like Elisha, uh, just like John the Baptist was like Elijah. And, and he does this wonderful miracle to show everybody that he has uh, been gifted by God, that God has blessed him, and that he is uh, the Lord's prophet. He is there to serve the people with compassion and mercy, whereas the kings of earth are evil, uh, killing the innocent as Herod did in the first part of this chapter. Now we see what happened after the feeding of the 5,000. Let's start in verse 22. He says, Immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus has fed the 5,000, and now it says immediately, after they've taken up all of the food, he commands them to get into a boat and to go across to the other side. And he then turns to this crowd, and he says, you guys get out of here. <laughs> and he goes, he's going to go up onto the mountain to pray. Now, this seems kind of odd, right? This is not characteristic of Jesus. Usually Jesus isn't uh, sending people away. Well, in this case, he is. Why is he doing that? Well, one thing this reveals to us is that Jesus is human. 
he is dealing with a lot of thoughts and emotions based on what has happened to him previously in this life, in his story. And, and it's easy to think about Jesus, oh yeah, he's God, he doesn't struggle, he doesn't worry about anything. But what we see here is Jesus does have something going on that he needs to go to God in prayer about. And that's his avenue. That's where he goes. And we start thinking about all that we've been studying recently. We understand, hopefully, why it is that he would go to God in prayer, why he might be struggling with thoughts and emotions that are going on inside of his physical body that he is living in. Uh, we've seen how people have doubted him. John the Baptist, even, and his disciples have doubted him. Uh, we've seen how the religious leaders have hated him. Have you ever been hated by somebody? How does that make us feel? That is not a good feeling at all, uh, to be hated by people. Uh, he's been uh, misunderstood, and people have, have just wanted to use him and abuse him and get the miracles without understanding his teachings. Uh, he's gone to his own hometown, and they've rejected him. Imagine the weight of that on your shoulders. And now, John the Baptist, his relative, the, right, the most righteous man to have lived on the earth, has been beheaded, we learned about earlier in this chapter. Do you imagine there's a lot going on inside of Jesus at this time? It's amazing to me that he was even able to, to function so much that he can heal everybody who comes to him and feed them, as we just saw him do. But he did all of that. And now he sends them away. <laughs> We expect, I would have expected him to just send them away immediately whenever they came. I can't handle this anymore. Get away. But now after feeding them fully, he dismisses them. He sends them away. And he goes up onto the mountain to pray alone with God. What an interesting uh, statement. He ends up spending most of the night, we read, in prayer. As we continue in the story, verse 24, it says about his disciples, but the boat by this time, they were in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So picture this. Jesus sends the disciples away, sends the crowds away. He goes up on this mountain by himself to pray before it's evening, and it becomes evening while he's there. And then his disciples are off in this boat, and they're starting to cross the, the Sea of Galilee, and the wind is coming at them and beating them and, and stopping them from crossing the sea. And they're doing everything they can to fight against this wind, but they're being beaten by it. They're not getting where they want to go. And we read that it was the fourth watch of the night. Now, this is odd to us. We don't talk this way. Um, but they would divide up the night into four sections. Okay, you got 12 hours, 6 p.m., 6 a.m. They would divide it up into four sections. This was the fourth section. So this would have been sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. That means Jesus has been praying for this entire time. 
and they have been struggling to cross the sea for all of this time in the middle of the night. What do you think is going on in their minds as they're battling against the sea without Jesus with them? Maybe they're wondering, why would Jesus send us away? We were supposed to go to the desolate place with Him. Why did He send us away? Doesn't He want us anymore? Did we do something wrong? Maybe they're, they're wondering, are we ever going to make it to where He sent us? I don't know how bad the, the winds are, but other Gospels kind of indicate that this was a really rough storm. Uh, and so they're wondering, are we ever going to make it to the place He's commanded us to go to? But... Probably what was on their mind is, I sure wish Jesus was here. <laughs> Above everything, a desire for Jesus to be with them. Uh, we, they've seen him calm a storm that, that they thought was going to capsize their boat. He was dead asleep and he wakes up. That's what the first song was about. He wakes up and he, he, he quiets the storm. And maybe they're just wondering, you know, if Jesus could have done that, if he was here right now, maybe he could help them. But he's not. And then... They see something out in the water. Now, if you've been a fisherman uh, and you start looking out in the water, you know what fish look like swimming in the water. And you might know what a person looks like swimming in the water. <clears throat> but you don't see a man walking on water. That is not something that you would ever see because men sink. Men don't rise up, and they don't stand on the water. And so these disciples see uh, a man standing and walking on the water. You just imagine the winds are blowing, the waves are going. Who could stand on the sea? And they think it, it must be a ghost. But imagine their relief and their amazement to hear the voice of their master saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. All the worries, all the fears, all the struggles they've been in as they've tried to cross this sea, all those things would be now set aside, understanding Jesus is now here. These things that we're worried about, Jesus can take care of. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to struggle like we once did. And you would just expect the story to kind of end there. Jesus there, the waters die, every, water, wind dies down, everything's good. But instead it gives us this additional story. It tells us something very interesting. Verse 28 through 31, it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We get this nice little side story here in the midst of this bigger story about Peter wanting to go out to Jesus on the water. Now, why in the world would Peter make this decision in his mind? What clicks in Peter's mind to say, oh, that looks like fun. I think I want to do that with you, Jesus. I mean, that's just crazy. He's been a fisherman all his life. He knows good and well that he will sink. Jesus can walk. I will sink. 
But he says, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus tells him, come on. Well, I've, I've heard a lot of different people say a lot of things about this decision. Some people have even gone so far as to say that Jesus is being uh, sinful in his pride and, and showing off in front of the disciples. We don't get a hint of that at all. Uh, maybe foolish. A lot of people say he's foolish in trying to do this. But the picture that I get is that he wants to embrace Jesus. They've been looking forward to, uh, to, to being across on the other side, finding Jesus, being with him again. They've been wondering maybe what's going on with him, how he's doing and all the suffering he's gone through. And then he sees him, knowing he is the solution to all of their problems. And he just, he wants to embrace him. He wants to be with him. I mean, how many of us want to embrace each other right now, right? This is a big deal. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He can't wait any longer. But as he gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water, something none of us have ever or will ever uh, experience in this way, the wind picks up and the reality sets in. I don't float. <laughs> I sink. <laughs> I, I, I can't do this. I can't walk on water. This is not even possible. And as, he, as those winds, maybe they died down whenever they saw Jesus. Maybe everything seemed like it was going to get better now. And, and that's what may, maybe gave him the courage to step out, thinking, oh, Jesus is here. Now everything's going to be okay. Uh, command me to walk on water and I'll come to you and everything will be fine. But then the wind picks up. And he's... He's terrified, and he calls out to Jesus for help. And notice, Jesus doesn't hesitate. He doesn't look at him and point and laugh and say, why were you so foolish? Immediately, it says, immediately Jesus grabs him and, and picks him up, and, but he tells him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about this story, I don't think about Peter's little faith. That's not the way I view this story. Uh, somebody's actually got enough belief in Jesus to step out of a boat and walk on water with him. Wow. That's, that's just massive faith. I can't believe the amount of faith that that would have taken for Peter to do that. I would have been in the boat. <laughs> I would not have been out there on the water with Jesus and with Peter. But then he starts to sink. He gets terrified by the wind. He starts to sink. And Jesus says this, You have a little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, that just seems so odd to me as I'm studying that. But what we see here is, the measure of his faith was small because he lost sight of Jesus in the trial. His faith was tested on that water. And he did not meet up to the test. He lost sight of Jesus. He focused in on the wind and on his own inability. And he was afraid that Jesus could not do what he had already been doing. And because of that, Jesus says, you have little faith, you doubt in this trial, in this 
uh, wind that has come upon you. Well, after that happens, after Peter is told he has little faith, him and Jesus get up uh, and they walk on the water to the boat. And this is what happens, verse 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Notice a few things about this. First of all, when he gets into the boat, it's over. The wind ceased, there is no more. If it died down and came back, I don't know, but at this point, it's over. There's no more wind. Jesus has once again calmed the wind and calmed the storm. And, and then all, that means that all of their struggle is over, right? All their fighting, all that they've been doing for hours, imagine how tired, how worn out they are, is over. They don't have to fight against the sea anymore. And now all of that energy can be transferred into the worship of Jesus. And notice the words they say, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, it's interesting that they worship Him and they call him the Son of God. Because whenever he calmed the storm in the past, do you remember what they said? What kind of man is this that the wind and the seas obey him? They didn't, they didn't call him the Son of God at that point. They didn't worship him. But now they're worshiping him. And Jesus doesn't respond with, oh no, you only worship God like the angels would or like a man would. He accepts their worship. We've seen Jesus be worshipped uh, by demons or worshipped by the Magi. We've seen him be called the Son of God by demons. We've seen a ruler of the synagogue kneel before him. We've seen a leper kneel before him. But up until this point, we have not seen the disciples proclaim, Truly, you are the Son of God and worship this man. So it's an amazing statement here at the end in response to seeing and understanding who Jesus is because of all the things that he's done in the past and, and specifically because of what he is doing here. All of this has been adding up and developing them to understand and to say, you are the Son of God. You are worthy of our worship. Well, what do we see as we study this text as we as we read through this story if i were a disciple recounting this like matthew is i would probably be seeing how jesus was developing our faith that's what this is really getting to is jesus is developing the faith of the disciples as he sends them away to struggle by themselves on a boat he's giving them time to to work and to see that they can't do it He's helping them understand their inability to obey the commands. And Jesus, you imagine him up on the mountain looking down and seeing the boat and seeing the winds up against them. We also see that he's training them and teaching them as he approaches them walking on the water and they're afraid of him, but he calms their fears. Do you notice what he says? Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Maybe they would be afraid of Jesus uh, if they understood who he is. They should be afraid of Jesus. But his, his, he's trying to teach them and help them understand they don't need to be afraid of him. He is not there for their harm. He's there for their good. 
And he tries to help them understand that and calm their storms. And then third, in this this story of, of Peter, we see how Jesus is trying to train and help the disciples see that they don't need to doubt. They don't need to doubt Jesus. No matter what is attacking them or coming at them, they don't need to doubt that Jesus has the power, the ability, and the desire to save them and to help them in whatever life throws at them. So then, our application is very simple. As we see Jesus training and developing his disciples, we also must be trained and developed. We must understand that all the work we're doing and all the striving that we have in this life and fighting a battle against the sea that's pushing against us, against the winds that are against us, all our battles against sin, all our battles against uh, the, the world around us, they're beating us down and making us struggle so much that we wonder, are we ever going to get to where we're supposed to go? I wish Jesus was here. I wish He could help us. I wonder if I've done something wrong in all of my trials and all of my suffering that I'm going through as I'm trying to do what's right. I wonder if He has abandoned me. We see that He hasn't. And as the disciples are doing all that they can do, struggling to do their best by their own ability, we see a contrast with Jesus, who in the midst of His struggles is up on the mountain praying to God. Considering how all of the things he's going through are in God's hands and how God is with him and listening to him and helping him along the way. How many of us are worn out from all the trials and all the suffering that this life is giving us? Are we praying? Is this our mindset that We're going to God in prayer, knowing that He's with us, knowing that He's helping us, knowing that He wants us. Well, these men were probably desiring Jesus to be with them, and Jesus came. But whenever He came, they were afraid. How many of us have made terrible decisions in our our struggles against sin, and our struggles against all these uh, temptations that are going on, our struggle against just the pain and suffering of life? How many of us have made terrible decisions, done terrible things? Are we scared of Jesus? I knew a guy in West Palm Beach, um, and and seemed like just a great guy, uh, wanted to, to do what God wanted him to do, but he struggled so much with the judgment of God. And he had this terrible fear uh, that he wasn't going to be good enough, that he couldn't do enough, and that God was going to be displeased with him no matter what he did. He had a very toxic relationship and he had a lot of weaknesses in himself. Had a toxic relationship with his spouse, a lot of weaknesses in himself, and he's struggling a lot. He couldn't grasp this concept. What Jesus tells the disciples, he tells to us. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus has not come to destroy. 
He's not coming to make us feel bad, to, to, uh, to, to hamper us, to, to keep us from becoming what we ought to be and destroy us. He's desiring to help us. Everything He's doing as He comes is an attempt to help us grow and become what we ought to be. As Jesus comes, the disciples think, oh no, a ghost, a bad omen. I've done all these wrong things and I'm, I'm rejected, I'm despised. And Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. We have to understand that Jesus coming into our lives, accepting his love and his grace and his mercy, is, is a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's not a thing of, of pain and agony. It's a thing of love and acceptance. And if we're choosing to reject him for fear that he will destroy us, those fears, unfortunately, are going to be realized. It's so sad that I see people do that. The man in West Palm just could not make the decision to fully commit himself to Jesus. He just kept wandering away into this world, afraid of what a committed life would, would lead to, not realizing Jesus was just trying to help him and the commands are intended to be for his good. And the struggles that he might face from that point forward would be with Jesus' help. I'm afraid sometimes we do the same thing. We have a fear that paralyzes us and keeps us from attaching ourselves to Jesus. But then we also see Peter making the decision, I'm going to attach myself to Jesus. Literally, getting out of the boat, running to Jesus, uh, walking on that water. And he seems so committed as he leaves that security of that boat. He seems so committed. But you notice how he wasn't ready for the trial that was about to come upon him. Maybe you're here and, and you're not afraid and you understand the love of Jesus and you're embracing him. You're wanting to go out to him. You're stepping out in faith and doing the things that he has commanded you to do, the things that he desires you to do, but you're not ready for what's about to happen as a result. Unfortunately, after we get up out of the waters of baptism, after we make the decision to commit our lives to Christ, at that point, Satan begins an assault against us. And we're not ready. And it's a struggle. And we're going to have a tendency uh, all throughout our lives of focusing on our own inability and focusing on the trial that is going on in our lives. And that will prove detrimental to us. We will demonstrate we have little faith instead of showing we are putting our faith and trust fully in God. This tells us we need to hold fast to Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Him with endurance. Whatever trials come, Jesus can handle it. Whatever it is. And it may be that I have to suffer, and it may be that I don't get everything that I want, but Jesus is still with me. He is still guiding me, and He is still helping me with compassion and love. And if I do slip up and I do focus on those things and doubt that he cares and doubt that he wants to help me, 
and I start to sink. This is a picture that I can say, Lord, save me. And he does not hesitate. He is there and he wants to help us overcome whatever doubts may arise. This brings to my mind uh, Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph is this psalmist who has written many psalms. I mean, we just see him as uh, being up there with David, as someone who's faithful, someone who has the right heart, who loves God. But did you know that in Psalm 73, Asaph struggled with doubt and fear? You see this zeal and this love for God, and yet he struggles with doubt and fear. Verse 2 of Psalm 73 says, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Here's an example for us of, of a trial that we might go through. We think, oh yeah, it's going to be great to serve God and be faithful to Him. And, and then all of a sudden we're distracted thinking about how the wicked are succeeding and everything's going well for them. And maybe we start to rethink this commitment that we've made. Maybe we start thinking instead of pursuing God, I should have been pursuing comfort and self-satisfaction. But Asaph figured it out in verse 17. He said that his, his faltering faith was restored when he entered into the sanctuary and he considered the end of those wicked people. Considered their end. And he came to this understanding by the end of the psalm that his only hope is to put his faith and his trust fully in God who is in control of that end. Verse 23 says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works." You see how he has developed, he has learned to trust in God in the midst of his trials, that God will be with him, that God will be guiding him as he is going through tough times. You know we've been through tough times this year. Uh, you know about the loss of our child. Um, and honestly, that trained me more than anything else in life to, to the fact that if God is not with me, there is no hope. The only thing I had to hold on to was the fact that God would be with me because he promised he would. And so there's many people who are suffering and struggling with different trials in life. The words of encouragement in this text are, God is there. He sees, he knows, he understands. And he's wanting to help you get through the trial showing great faith. He's there, 
Believe it. Trust it. Know it. If you're here this morning and you've not put your trust in Him, you don't have faith in His saving, then when those trials come, it's going to be dark. There is no hope. You put your trust in your own abilities and you couldn't do it. Will you prepare for those trials beforehand by coming to know your God and your Savior Will you receive the salvation that He offers you so that you can endure those trials and develop your faith so that the the suffering in this life will produce character and will produce hope and will produce joy knowing that God is with you, that He loves you, and that He cares for you. If you're here this morning and you've not received the grace of our Lord and you want to do that, Uh, and you want to be a part of His people, you want to be forgiven of all of your sins, you can do that. He's compassionate and merciful and loving. There's nothing you've done that He will not forgive. Please don't delay. Please come as we stand and sing.